0: Welcome to Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee. Join hosts Ajay Shah and Usha Chakrabarti as they talk to fascinating guests. Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee is brought to you by Hindu Policy Research and Advocacy Collective, Hindu Pact, an initiative of World Hindu Council of America. Now, sit back, relax, take a sip of coffee, or chai, and join the conversation.
1: Namaste, everybody, and uh, welcome to a new version of uh, Hindu Lounge Conversations Over Coffee. And this is a new format we are trying. This is not Hindu Lounge. And uh, we have a guest today uh, who is going to discuss the book, Hinduism in America, How Hindu Dharma is Transforming the West. And with us, we have Jay Bansalji, who along with Kalyan Vishwanathan wrote this wonderful book, Hinduism in America, Hinduism and America, and how Hindu Dharma is transforming the West. So I'm going to bring in Jay Bansalji onto the camera. And today you will be missing, you all will be missing Ajay Shadi because he's not doing well, but he, I have requested him to drop in because, you know, there is no Hindu lounge Coffee conversation, anything else without Ajay Bhai. So, hopefully, he'll be able to join in. But for now, we will have hopefully a wonderful discussion with Jay Bansalji. And uh, I will just like to quickly introduce Jay Bansalji for those uh, who don't know him. I mean, there are many people who are our listeners who already know him. Dr. Jay Bansal is a scientist, author, and community leader with a keen interest in Indian history and in exploring the contributions of the Hindu civilization to the world. That's a doll ask. He currently serves as the Vice President of Education for World Hindu Council of America, as well as a member of its Executive Board and the Governing Council. After a professional career spanning 38 years, Dr. Bansal retired in 2014 as the Chief Scientific Officer of a global petrochemical company. From 2014 to 2018, he served as an advisor to the Argonne National Laboratory in Chicago and the US Department of Energy. He holds a PhD in chemical engineering from the University of Waterloo in Canada and a BSc with distinction from Punjab University. He has published widely and holds over two dozen scientific patents. From my side, I need to add, he is one of the most astute observers of geopolitics and contributions of Hindu community in, in the history of mankind. So that's the part I added. Uh, so I'm going to welcome Jayaji. Namaste Jayaji, you are on camera.
2: Uh, namaste Utsuji so kind of you to uh, to introduce me that way and of course uh, uh, my heartache namaste to all your viewers and uh, Ajayji namaste as well uh, I see you just dropped in
1: Ajayji, Ajayji uh, dropped in and that makes this show complete because uh, even though Ajayji has lost his voice uh, his presence itself uh, will make this very interesting so uh <clears throat> I wanted to you know introduce the audience to this wonderful book that you have written uh, hinduism and america and how america how hindu dharma is transforming the west so you know this this is a topic that is very fascinating because you know a lot of people around the world look at you know ceos uh, of major companies and 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 you know many successful americans who are of Indian origin and Hindu origin, but uh, I don't see an effort that has been made ever to document the history of uh, Hindu dharma and America and how the two are intertwined. Uh, So, you know, I'm going to start off by asking some questions, uh, and uh, you know, just just go from there and and you can you know give, give your explanation i'm gonna ask follow-up question sure. and you know if you, if, there, if there are things that you would like to add that i'm missing out please feel free to uh, you know add and ajima you are also most welcome to join in chime in i know you will uh, anytime you want so how did you how did you get inspired to write this what what was it that made you think about the need for writing this book jayji
2: Okay, so let me start with you know what I consider a forty thousand foot high view of what this book is about, and then I'll get into uh, the specifics of the question. So first of all, as you pointed out, it's a coffee table book. Uh, You know, a lot of text, but a lot of uh, pictures as well, which makes it a little bit easier for people to get into. Uh, It's about two hundred pages. And it's a joint effort between uh, myself and my co-author Kalyan Viswanath, uh, and uh, and and of course our two organizations, the World Hindu Council of America, which is uh, I'm part of, and then Kalyan Viswanathji, who is uh, the president of Hindu University of America. So uh, that's uh, just a high level, you know, how, what 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 the book is. Now, really, the book is about. Uh, the history of how Hindu thought actually came to the West in general, but in America in particular, you know, how the ideas came here, how they were received, how they were processed, how they were transmitted. Uh, You know, that's a, that's a pretty long history. And uh, so part of the book is devoted to that, that aspect of it. And the other part that goes to the heart of your question, uh, that is the, you know, the, the, the journey of ordinary Hindu Americans like you and I, and of course, you know, all the high performers, CEOs, and, and the movers and shakers of Hindu American community. So it's really you know a, a history or a chronicle of their journey uh, in the West and in America in particular, and how they achieved what they achieved. So it's, uh, it's, it's all about that. Um, Now, as to how I got inspired, that is an interesting story. So, you know, the first generation immigrants as you, you know, Hindu Hindu immigrants or immigrants from India in general uh, in America are about. Uh, well, about 50, 55, you know, uh, years, uh, in the, you know, here in this country. Uh, the Immigration Act of 1965 allowed uh, people with high, you know, technical degrees to, to be able to come here. And uh, we started coming as students and then, then eventually settled here and, uh, you know, integrated ourselves into the society. So, you know, here we are sitting at a half-century mark of that, that journey. And uh, now these, uh, you know, the the pioneering um, uh, Hindu Americans are in their 70s, in early 80s, and they have accomplished tremendous, uh, you know, I mean, their accomplishments are really unparalleled in the history of any immigrant community. Um, So here's a story that needed to be told. You know, it's a generation that has done wonderful work and they are, you know, at the tail end of their, you know, careers, of course, but but lives as well. So, so their history had to be told. Um, so uh, two years ago, I was uh, given the opportunity uh, by my organization to organize a conference uh, in, uh, in Boston. It was called Threats 2019. Uh, November 2019 we held it and it was a conference where we where we had 500 delegates from all over United States and many from Canada as well but more importantly we had more than 60 uh, you know thought leaders and uh, you know movers and shakers from different aspects of you know, the, the Hindu American society. There were people from, you know, there were scientists, there were engineers, there were, um, you know, uh, authors, there were artists, there were you know, entrepreneurs. It's, it was quite a galaxy of, uh, you know, uh, thought leaders who came here and shared their thoughts, their journeys, and how they, you know, got to where they got to. So that was a wonderful, you know, story to hear. But you know these stories are ephemeral, so to speak. You know, they, unless you write them down, uh, they really don't have a you know any durability. <clears throat> so we felt that uh, you know we had to we had to write about you know what they said um so that's how how it, it got started and then it took many different twists and turns as any any book does you know if anyone who's written a book i'm sure will tell you that you know what what we what you started out in at the start you know it, it doesn't end up that way so there is there's a there's lot a lot to it and we can get into it uh, as we go but that's how i got started
1: That's very fascinating, uh, Jayji. Uh, But I have a question about the title of the book. So (laughs) you say Hinduism in America, how Hindu dharma is transforming the West. So I understand that today what it is meant by West is America because pretty much American society's uh, ethos, American culture pervades what is perceived as the West. So I understand that. So... When you were writing the book, did at any point, did you feel like when we talk about the West... We, we were going to ever discuss a pre-colonial narrative of the West, because, you know, what is described at West today, for most of known recorded human history, was uh, Eurocentric. Uh, America is a, you know, young kid at the block when it comes to historical narrations. So, did you ever think, okay, maybe Germany, maybe uh, Western Europe? Uh, because, you know, historically, Hindu dharma has a lot of connection with the philosophy and the culture of what is mainland Europe, Uh, going back to pre-Christian times, uh, you know. So, just could you think about, elaborate about it?
2: Yeah, so I think the book is a little bit about both, but it is more America-centric, and I'll give you reasons why. I think, uh, you know, uh, it is true that many of the Hindu ideas that came to America initially, you know they came through uh, through European colonizers. Okay, that you know you have uh, yeah, William Jones um, uh, discovering Sanskrit, making some translations into English. A lot of, and then those translations came here, and uh, there were a lot of people who became fascinated by the uh, the translated you know versions of Gita Vedas and uh, and so on and so forth. But yes, they, they traveled to Europe, um, but. Uh, I think we had a very different kind of relationship uh, with America versus the what we call the West in general, and where we and more you know we really think of that as Europe. Uh, you know, Europe, Europe with Europe we had I think
1: I think. I think I lost J.G. here a little bit, Uh is yeah. back, so I, I lost you a little okay. bit, but please uh, please uh, come back and uh, finish finish the thought.
2: Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, so I, I think what I was saying is uh, uh, the relationship that we have with the so-called West, which we think of as morally, more as, you know, Western Europe, was that of a colonizer-colonized relationship. And we never had that relationship with America, mm-hmm. okay? So, you know, uh, the history of our relationship with so-called West Europe, I think that needs to be written. Uh, you know, there is a little bit of that here, but the problem is, you know, when that history is written, we have to really talk about the, the you know, colonizers' mentality and how they treated, you know, our civilizational history. Because, you see, they were, they were quite frankly, busy falsifying the, you know our civilizational history appropriating you know some of the uh, contributions that uh, you know uh, hindu civilization had made to the world uh, so that they could continue to fool us into believing that we were not uh, worthy of anything and continue to rule us so we did not have that relationship with America. So it was much easier for me to focus on America and write about how our thought processes is, uh, you know, transmitted here and how they were received. Um, the history of our relationship with Europe must be written. I think there are plenty of books there already, but I think there is more that can be done to explore that colonizer-colonized relationship. But that was not, you know, explored in any great details here.
1: Okay. So, you know... The book is very nicely illustrated. Uh, you know, th- there are beautiful uh, graphics in it. Uh, there, there's beautiful pictures of architecture. As a, as an architect, I always get gravitate towards uh, visual things, and uh, I love the fact that you have beautiful temple pictures and uh, you know historical artifact pictures. Uh, so, what's the audience that you are looking at? Uh, who who is the reader?
2: Yeah, I have a good question, uh, Utsavji. Um, my My belief is that the book should, because of the way it's, you know, put together, it should appeal to, uh, you know, audiences of all ages. Um, You know, people of my age, people of my generation, you know, first generation immigrants, I think they will find it fascinating because you know, part of it is dedicated to their own their own journey, their own history. I think, uh, you know, I mean, uh, people like me are used to saying, well, we came here with, you know, eight dollars in our pocket and nothing else. And look how, you know, uh, we did wonderful things. But, you know, uh, we keep forgetting that we actually brought, you know, our cultural heritage with us, which helped us tremendously in our journey. So reading about that, I think that generation would be, uh, you know, would be very uh, fascinated by. Um, then we have the, you know, um, the families with, uh, you know, um, yeah, young children. Uh, I think they would be interested in it so that they can Learn about not only the accomplishment of their, you know, of their ancestors, of their fathers, and uh, so, you know, the first generation immigrants, but be able to talk to their children about, uh, you know, these these accomplishments. Um, and then I think the the youth should be interested to see, you know, um, what their what their pioneering generation did in this country. Uh, you know what their contributions are because, you know, let's face it, um, most. Uh, most uh, next, you know, uh, children of next generation, they know us as, you know, parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts, uh, you know, doing our stuff, you know, doing some job. Uh, yeah, I may be an engineer, you may be an architect, but that's the extent to which they know about us. I think if if they were to open a book like this, and I'm sure there are other books, like you know, in, in, in of this genre, but if they open this book, and even engage with it for 10-15 minutes, I think they'll, they'll find some fascinating uh, item that they did not know before. And I think that is a way for them to, you know, feel good about, you know, uh, their head.
1: That is absolutely true. And JG to be honest with you, you know, once uh, I glanced through the book, I realized that uh, not just uh, young Hindus in America and Hindus of all age in America uh, should read this book. I would suggest that this book should be recommended to uh, PhD students in Jawaharlal Nehru University as well as in other major uh, institutions in India, especially liberal arts institutions in India because I can guarantee you that uh, 99% of them uh, will be found wanting to know even ten percent of what's in this book, and they might be scholars in humanities in major universities in India, uh, especially humanities. I must uh, underline. So, J I I think the, your book is needed for people in India and the Indian subcontinent as well. Uh, you know, I tell you my personal story about how how I learned so many of the things that you write about in this book. So, when I was a twelfth class student, I, I was you know. In those days, how students are in India, you know, they want to go to quizzes and stuff like that. So I was at a national uh, level quiz competition in Chennai. I am I, from northern India. I grew up in northern India. Mm-hmm. So I was there. And for the first time in my life, and this is a, a 12th grade student who has already studied chemistry and physics for at least five years. I learned that Damascus steel, you know, the steel that historically mm-hmm. is famous for uh, being swords of all major kings and rulers and conquerors of the world was actually not from Damascus, but from metallurgists in India and I had never known that before so and, I, and trust me I was considered a good student and a student who was above you know I was representing my state in quizzes and stuff like that so that tells you the level of knowledge about our Hindu traditions, Hindu science that most average Indians uh, lack and and the fact that you have very succinctly and very beautifully uh, graphically portrayed these things in a quick fast uh, readable manner is is very impressive so it's, it's needed for people in India as well I must so I have here Ajay Shah, who every week you see with me. Uh, actually, you see me with him every week. Uh, so Ajayji has been patiently waiting, and uh, this is the longest he has waited on camera without having spoken anything. Uh, so, so
0: Ajay, vai, uh, welcome. To join us. And, no, uh, we'll G, to... uh, this is utsoda's opportunity because I. <laughs> 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 I'm going to respond. Uh, but I, I, it's a really awesome book, fascinating book, very well written, very well presented. It's uh, just uh, absolutely um, a need of the hour and presentation that is just, uh, you know, just beyond words, beautiful. Um, JJ, maybe I have a couple of questions, but I'd like to see if you can uh, go over some of the visuals that you have of the book, if you have them. Um if not i can just ask the questions i, I you know uh, just a couple of pictures if you have yeah, yeah actually we can we can do that
2: already uh, and uh, then maybe uh, you might have some follow up questions so if uh, if you want to
1: um, uh, put the next the second slide on for me so, uh, ji you have to click on the second slide uh, so you, from your computer because the, com- the slide is or uh, Unless it's Ajay Ji who has the slide.
0: No, no, it is Ajay Ji's slide. So I didn't upload just Now we see it. Place. Now we oh, see oh, it.
1: Oh, oh, okay, all right.
0: Uh,
2: so, all right, wonderful. So, you know, uh, people, you know, when, when they look at uh, how the, the, the subtitle, you know, how Hinduism or hind- Dharma is transforming the West, I think they're somewhat taken aback. Um, so I, I, I thought I would share with you a little bit about uh, how truly Hindu dharma is been, has been transforming the West and particularly America. So here is an article from uh, Newsweek, uh, I think it's August 15, 2009, by Lisa Miller so she uh, the the title of the article is we are all hindus now and it's been discussed in the press uh, quite a lot and she makes the argument based on uh, a lot of lot of uh, objective evidence that uh, uh, you know americans are thinking in their in, in their spiritual space they're thinking more like the hindus than the traditional uh, you know religions they were born in So, I'll I'll just uh, give you two or three excerpts from that. So, it says two-thirds, these are excerpts from the article. It says, two-thirds of the Americans believe in multiple paths to spiritual truth. And that includes 37% of the evangelists. Now, that is a quintessential Hindu idea. It is non-exclusive a view of the divine that is so close to the hindu dharma uh, and is not present in in the abrahamic faiths so that is that is a monumental shift in the way uh, america is thinking of spirituality now a third of them believe in life after death they believe in reincarnation and the law of karma and in fact you know karma is a very you know uh Ubiquitous word that is part of now uh, English dictionary and certainly you know in American parlance on a daily basis. Um, the increase in popularity of uh, movements like yoga, meditation, even Ayurvedic health, you know uh, healthcare, uh, veganism, and meatless products is visible to anyone. Yeah, see you know in some cases uh, they may be small, but yoga is not. Meditation is not. I mean, yoga is a global. Uh, 85, 86 billion uh, dollar industry. Okay, out of which uh, 18 or 20 billion is used on only on uh, on you know uh, yoga attire. Uh, so so it's it's by no means a small uh, small movement, and that is all you know. Rooted very deeply in uh, in the Hindu tradition, it is not an American tradition by any stretch of the imagination. Um, now, did you know that more than a third of Americans cremate their dead, and that was uh, that's up from six percent in mid seventies. So, you know, the, and these are just few of the things. There are many, many more. But uh, uh, so, you know, here we have it uh, very clearly uh, that uh, Hindu thought, you know, whether you believe it or not, but Hindu thought is truly transforming the West. Now, of course, they're not. You know, they're not converting to Hindu uh, dharma, and and we don't don't really, you know, we're not a proselytizing, uh, you know, faith, but it is changing the way people think of divine, people think of life, and so on and so forth. So that's that's something I just wanted to
1: share. I hope. Uh, Jay, you know, just wanted to quickly add something to the last point you said. You yeah. know, of all the points that you mentioned, it's very important for our audience to understand that soteriology or the, or the study of uh, what happens after death is one of the most important aspects of all global religions. In fact, sometimes it is more important than what what you, you do, you know, theology and epistemology, which you practice during living, because a lot of religions, especially the Judeo-Christian and Islamic religions, are geared towards what happens after death. And in all Judeo-Christian and Islamic faith, what happens after death is really null and void if you lose your physical body. Because all their soteriology is based on the idea that your body will be revived in an afterlife after some form of a judgment. So the fact that Americans, one third of Americans are actually cremating their bodies, it actually nullifies and goes the most against any belief in Judeo-Christian and Islamic uh, uh, soteriology. That is very important because often that has driven religion for most of human history. So I just wanted to put that in for the audience to understand. Yeah, yeah.
2: Thanks, thanks for clarifying that. I mean, very, very important point. Uh, so let me, uh, you know, the other thing I just want to share with you are some quotes from famous, uh, famous people who are, you know, Western people. I, I would probably made sure that, you know, we actually include quotes from a variety of Western thought leaders uh, in the book. Uh, I didn't want to include uh, Hindu uh, thought leaders because, you know, you're always, uh, you know, accused of bias and so on and so forth. So here in the book, we have 30 different quotes from well-known personalities, and I just want to share a few of them uh, before I get back to Ajayji's question. Uh, let me see if I can move to the next slide here. Uh, can you see it? Can yes, absolutely. See?
1: Yes, Okay, and uh, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, as I said, the book has actually 30 different quotes like this. Uh, But here are four uh, from, uh, uh, you know, from from philosophers, writers, historians. So, Arthur uh, Schopenhauer, uh, a German philosopher, he says, Vedas are the most rewarding and the most elevating book which can be possible in the world. Uh, we have uh, the famous American uh, transcendentalist, Ralph Waldo Emerson, in the early 19th century. He says, in the great books of India, an empire spoke to us, large, serene, consistent, the voice of an old intelligence, which in another age and climate had pondered and thus disposed of the questions that exercises. us. Today, Now, we have uh, a British author, you know, you don't didn't think the British actually particularly respected the colonized, but here is Sir John Woodruff uh, from the, uh, I guess, mid-19th century to early 20th century. He writes, an examination of Indian Vedic doctrines shows that it is in tune with the most advanced scientific and philosophical thought of the West. And then we have the famous American historian Will Durant. Uh, he is uh, pretty much of the 20th century, so uh, not too long ago. And he says this India was the motherland of our race, and Sanskrit, the mother of Europe's languages. She was the mother of our philosophy, mother through the Arabs of much of our mathematics. So that is uh, that is one, and let me now share one more slide like that. Um, here we have four well-known scientists. Uh, three of them Nobel laureates, and Robert Oppenheimer does not need any introduction either. He's you know he's the father of atomic uh, bomb in this country. So Erwin uh, Schrödinger. He is considered the father of quantum physics. And he is a Nobel laureate in 1933. He says, most of my ideas and theories are heavily influenced by Vedanta. Um, Then we have Niels Bohr. He's also a Nobel laureate, 1922. He says, I go to the Upanishads to ask questions. Then we have Heisenberg. Uh, You know, everyone knows about Heisenberg effect. He's a Nobel laureate, 1932. And he says, after the conversations about Indian philosophy, some of the ideas of quantum physics that had seemed so crazy suddenly made more sense. And then, of course, Robert Oppenheimer says, access to the Vedas is the greatest privilege this century may claim over all previous centuries. So, you know, when you look at you know where we are today uh you know how some how you know hindu ideas are uh sometimes uh, um, you know not given uh, respect in the in the media and and actually there is a lot of what we call hindu phobia and so on and so forth um you know that is a relatively new phenomenon there was at you know at some point in time and over a long period of time a lot of thought leaders who thought very very highly of uh, you know the hindu civilization contributions so i'll stop there already I, I forgot your uh the gist of your questions if you wouldn't mind repeating it uh uh you i, I cannot hear you
1: sorry Aj-
0: Ajiba, your sound is uh, nice. yeah i was on mute uh, so can, you can hear me now Yes. Okay. No, Jay-Z, I did not ask a question yet. My only question was, uh, I do have the book, actually, uh, as you can see, uh, uh, waiting to be displayed. And I didn't know if you wanted to kind of show some highlights from the book. It's already, it's here. So uh, if you wanted to point to a particular page, uh, like, for example, this is a page of key pillars of Hindu Dharma. And some of the other pages, as we said in the beginning, it's, it's beautifully laid out it's, and, uh, you know, right for all age groups. So, Jayji, any particular page you want to kind of show people to give the highlights? Yeah, so if you would uh, um,
2: go to the page where we talk about uh, reverence for knowledge... Um I think a lot of lot of people would be fascinated by you know uh what's there let me see if I can find the page number for you quickly the so
0: page number I can quickly go there I know I know it's uh, um yes well, I, while you're doing that I just want to give people a flavor of the book here are the basic concepts of Hindu dharma like reincarnation uh, moksha ishwar or personal deity the Hindu family system and you can you can see it's very beautiful uh, images of collective decision-making, social safety net, uh, transmission of traditional values, uh, intergenerational symbiosis in action. Um, you know, there's some 16 some scars are of the uh, Hindu life and uh, depicted pictorially, every one of them, as you can see here. And actually,
1: uh, Aj- Aj- Ajayi, I had a question for J.G. And, and because J.G. wrote the book, he probably has a better answer than most of us uh, would have. So, J.G., you know, whenever we look and st- study the historical commentary on Hindu dharma, mm-hmm. uh, we see that there are overwhelming number of people who are of science background, science, mm-hmm. medicine, technology, no, people, people who would tend to be more rational, I must say, uh, that have a, that have a very positive opinion and wonderful things to st- say about Hindu dharma, not just in the field of science, but as you can see in the, Veda, in, in the Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedanta, so in the field of philosophy as well. Not as much from the field of literature, and yeah. certainly not as much from the field of uh, sociology, anthropology, and, and, and uh, geopolitics. So... You know, since you worked on this so much and you put so much effort into it, what? how do you see and how do you explain that? Yeah, it's a, actually
2: a very interesting question, Uh, uh And I,
1: th- you know, I, I'm not sure if
2: I have the right answer, but I, I'll give you uh, what I think is the, uh, you know, is the, uh, potentially a reason. Uh, you know, if you... If you go to the early parts of, uh, let's say, the, uh, you know, uh, late 18th century, you know, after, um, you know, uh, William Jones discovered, uh, you know, Sanskrit and there was there a was lot of appreciation for, uh, you know, for Indian civilization contributions, even in the, uh, you know, what we consider humanities or social, you know, social sciences. However, it changed... Uh, tremendously because of uh, you know certain what I would consider racial com- you know uh, complex that I think uh, you know uh, Europe has uh, harbored for a long period of time um, I you know they they started uh, you know particularly in Germany uh, see Germany uh, you may you may know that in the uh, you know uh, 90 uh, you know up to the Almost late nineteenth century was actually not a country. They were, you know, a bunch of tribes, warring tribes, and they were looking to find a a way to form a nation, and they were looking for a national national identity. So, you know, they at some point along the way they discovered uh, Mahabharat, and they started associating themselves with the heroes of Mahabharata, particularly Kaurwas, and uh, so they appropriated. Our, uh, you know, identity and this whole business of, uh, you know, German Indology came into being where they, uh, you know, basically said, you know, we are the superior race. This history is written about us, and uh, you know, the people, uh, the so-called Aryans who went to India, they they got mixed with the local people. Yeah. So, so they, they you know, the whole idea of. German or Indology, Western Indology in particular was to put down the Indian civilizational contributions, the entire history. Um, Part of it was because of their racial complexes, but part of it was also because the need to justify the colonial rule, the British colonial rule. So uh, I think that's how the, the thinking in the humanities, the Western humanities, uh, got colored tremendously against the Hindu civilization, um, whereas the scientists, I think, as you pointed out, they have a slightly more rational perspective. Although even there, uh, a lot of our contributions got appropriated and uh, you know mis uh, you know attributed to uh, to 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 Western uh, you know uh, scientists and so on and so forth. But scientists in general, uh, I think, had a more shall we say even-handed view of. Uh, uh, of our of our contributions so that that would be my explanation there may be others um, you know I, I won't consider myself an expert in the field
0: <clears throat> so, and, so JJ uh, I have a slightly different uh, stream of questions A couple of them or maybe yeah. three uh, one is that you know uh, in if you look at the American history uh, since the arrival of the Europeans and the way America was established um and if you look at the American uh, textbooks that are you know in elementary school and middle school and all that, you'll see that, and and also you know uh, some of the scholarly work it would say that America was built on uh, Protestant work ethics and Puritanical values. And uh, here we are saying that you know Hindus have made this enormous contribution and all that. How do, so. so Assuming that you know there is a confluence of both, how hmm. do the how do the Protestant work ethics and Puritanical values kind of come together with the Hindu uh, you know uh, Hindu philosophy, Hindu ethics, Hindu ethos hmm. in America?
2: Um, yeah, I have to I have to think a little bit about that. Uh, I think that's a very deep question. Uh, you know the the uh, you know the the thought process of from, from you know, uh, Hindu philosophy that, they, that the Americans have absorbed, they are also, I mean, you know, majority of uh, uh, Americans, as you know, are Protestants. So, they, they, you know, many of them have actually adopted the, uh, you know, uh, Hindu philosophy.
0: Um, but I don't know, I mean, you know, I, I really can't answer that question offline. I would have to
2: think a little bit more about that
0: well that gives us the idea of a next show I guess or one of the future shows maybe next book uh, maybe next book (laughs) Uh, JG along the along these same lines right I have two more questions and one of them is that uh, you know America generally attributes a lot of its success especially when it comes to the success in the West Uh, it's a Western part of America and you know to rugged individualism so you know how does rugged individualism and some of the you know uh, some of the things that we have, uh, you, have you know we've seen in your book about collective achievements and people coming together achieving things how do the how does the how how does hindu ethos and hindu dharma thrive in in a place where rugged individualism Uh, is something that propels success. I mean, you you look at uh, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is successful because, you know, or was rather successful because, uh, you know, in some ways, rugged individualism or, you know, there's several of the Western states that became part of America, you know, because people endured uh, long, you know, wagon rides and, you know, uh, came across difficult lands and, you know, whatever, right? So how does that, Uh, blend with the Hindu ethos and Hindu way of thinking and Hindu way of doing things because Hindus never really went to other countries and other lands and conquered them Sure, sure. So uh, you know, so
2: I think that kind of plays to ekam sad vipra concept in a way. There are multiple ways to to uh, to you know whatever you consider the ultimate. You know, if you if you consider success, success as ultimate, there are probably multiple ways to get there. But then I think so. So rugged individualism, was, uh, you know, gets you there in uh, in a certain way, and then this collective thinking gets you there in a certain way. I would argue that, you know, if you look at the success of Hindu Americans here in the last 50, 50 plus years, uh, it is, I attribute a large part of it to strong family structure, okay? That is quintessential collective, um, you know, uh, collective unit, collective thinking, and so on and so forth. So I give collective thinking a great deal of of credit. Um, Now you have to also think of, you know, what does individ- rugged individualism, what does that success look like? What does it get you to? Versus what collective success gets you to? I think one is a, you know, I believe the, the individual ruggedism, uh, rugged, you know, in, individualism, that gets you to, you know, this, uh, this you know, madness about you know success at any cost in my opinion uh you know where there is a lot of stress in the society there's a lot of uh, you know ills that come with it whereas i think the collective thought process gets you gets you gets you there but gets it's more durable and less stressful and more harmonious so you know uh, yeah and end result yes success but what what comes along with it may be very different.
0: I I do have one uh, one thought that when I you know when we, uh, you know that I want to kind of bounce off of you and again this is a casual conversation so we never look at it as you know a formal interview I mean a formal in, you know uh, interview show or any of that right this is just casual conversation so mm-hmm. one place where I think that uh, the rugged individualism among Hindus have been beyond imagination successful is in case of the spiritual gurus. So, Swami Vivekananda came here to America. He came as an individual. And he accomplished amazing things at the Parliament of World Religion. So, Prabhupada Swami came here. From nothing, he established ISKCON. And I can think of Swami Chinmananda coming here, Mata Amritanandamai coming here, Sadhguru coming here, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar coming here. These people have... Uh, prom- propagated the best of Hindu dharma, uh, and their success is really rugged individualism in American so- that American society afforded them uh, mm-hmm. in terms of you know allowing them to uh, flourish. Sure, sure. Actually, actually, I think
2: that's a, that's a very good point. I I did want to bring it up at some you know at some point in our conversation. Uh, when I look at you know, the, the, the personalities that, that you just talked about. Actually, it amazes me. It amazes me what they managed to accomplish and what they, you know, what they came here with. I mean, here are people, strange attire, you know, and, you know, so many of them did not speak uh, good, good English. And their ideas certainly were not, you know, were, At 180 degrees to uh the society they were uh, coming to so they so how i mean they they, they didn't know where they're going to even eat or sleep or whatever have you so i mean how these people managed to connect with an alien society conveyed their ideas not just conveyed their ideas but actually converted them to their way of thinking i mean that is an accomplishment that I can't even imagine how one gets started up and yet these people did it and not not one not two but you know uh, dozens maybe maybe scores of them you know and, and many of them are, are noted in the book I just want to change uh, the, uh, the conversations very slightly uh, so first of all if you won't mind uh, showing page 30 31 of the book it's about our education system <clears throat> So yeah, uh, it's uh, I think one after one after that maybe, or if you could just uh, scroll it uh, uh, a little further, yeah. So yeah, this one here. So you know, a lot of people when they look at uh, the Indian education system today, you know, uh, or, or Hindu education system if you like, wonder, uh, you know, and I. They, how Indian civilization or Hindu civilization could have achieved the things that they claim to have achieved with the kind of education system that, you know, we've been exposed to uh, through our school years. But, you know, the reality is here are... This, this fellow, Dharampal, uh, who is, uh, um, you know, featured here, he's written a beautiful book called, called uh, The Beautiful Tree. And, he, you know, the speciality of that book is that he is actually dug into the, the British records going back to early 19th century and before. And, you know, those, those, I mean, there are reports by the British officials talking about the Indian education system. One of them says there was a school in every village. Uh, here is uh, uh, William Adams, uh, I forget what his uh, uh, role was, but he says there existed 100,000 village schools in Bengal and Bihar around 1930s. Uh, Thomas Monroe, I believe, uh, was, uh, the, uh, the, he, he was the... he was I forget, I think he was the president of the Madras uh, presidency at that time. And he says every village had a school. Uh, on the next page... On the next page, uh, if you would scroll, please. So I've listed a bunch of things here that, you know, uh, that I pulled together from their reports. And it says contemporary British records show that education for the masses was more advanced and more widespread in India than it was in England at that time in terms of number of schools and colleges relative to the population number of students attending these institutions, duration of time spent in school, <clears throat> quality of teachers, and let me just read the last one. High percentage of so-called lower class students attending these schools as compared to so-called upper class. So the majority of the students were from what, you know, uh, ultimately came to be known as scheduled class. This is i mean un, unheard of i was shocked when i read this and this is from the british reports and i think uh even hindu americans today would be i mean uh, surprised to read that um so that that's that's one aspect that i just wanted to bring and of course there is a there's a lot more about uh our, you know our knowledge system uh about the the entire sh- you know shruti and samriti and how they're structured and the all the subsystems you know on the next few pages i don't want to bore the audience with you know details here i think they they really need to get the book and at some point but i just wanted to show uh, talk about one more thing <clears throat> so it's not all about you know, uh, you know Hindus making the contribution, or the Swamis and Gurus, uh, you know, bringing Hindu thought here. There are a lot of people who were born uh, in and raised here in this country of not Hindu faith, who actually picked up these ideas and transmitted it themselves. Um, so, if I could ask you, um, let's see. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so, let me take you to page 94, yeah, I'm going to jump you, you know, make you jump around a little bit, actually before you do that, uh, maybe 90, uh, one before that, just, just give me, um, transmission, um, yeah so we are, uh, let's let's go to uh, page 88 <clears throat> Yeah here we are so you know uh, this and next page actually shows Uh, the key influencers in one specific field and that is spirituality. There are, you know, uh, five like that. Uh, You know, one on yoga, one on uh, mind sciences, one on uh, healthcare and so on and so forth. But, you know, here we have, of course, Swami Vivekananda is there. Uh, He made a great contribution. But we have people like uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Walt Whitman, uh, Annie Besant, uh, of course, uh, Schrodinger I mentioned, uh, Joel Solomon, uh and and so on so forth uh, uh ernest holmes so it's uh, you know we don't talk about just the uh, you know hindus who came here to spread you know the, the word of you know hindu dharma a lot of people here have you know need to be given credit for uh, transmitting and absorbing that information and actually, you know, being part of this this great movement. And like I said, there are, uh, you know, five uh, pages like that in the book. Uh, and and of course, a lot written about how they made the contribution. On the next page, you can show very quickly on the next page, we won't uh, dwell on it. But, you know, you have some famous people here like uh, David Frawley, um uh, john Hedlund, Uh today he's uh, the you know uh, he's uh, with the uh, the maharishi international university uh, jeffrey long so you know there are a lot of people here who adopted uh, the you know hindu dharma or spread the uh, the word yeah so yeah let's uh,
0: let's see uh, what else we can uh, talk about jj i i have a question that uh, you know maybe you know uh, if you know maybe you have uh, thought about it when you know when we when someone like you who chronicles the contribution of a particular faith, in this case a Hindu faith, in America. Uh, one of the natural questions that people can ask is that: um, What about? How does it compare or contrast with, say, contributions from other faiths? And here I, I lose I use the word faiths somewhat loosely, uh, because if someone were to write, for example, a similar book of contribution of Judaism in America. Now have a much longer history here, and the style, uh, and the you know the uh, they didn't uh, the, the starting field was not level, but still uh, you know uh, contribution of uh, Judaism to America, for example, or contribution of some of the other you know, uh, Abrahamic religions, right? Mm-hmm. How do we compare and contrast these contributions? Right. So you know Hindu contribution
2: uh, has been of course in many, many fields. It it goes way back, Um, you know, pre-history, well, um, uh, you know, uh, um, B.C.E., many, many centuries pre-B.C.E. I mean, um, Bodhaya Sutra is, you know, from the 8th century uh, uh, B.C.E., for example, and contributions in many, many different fields, many of which have been Uh, You know, borrowed some of them been you know misattributed to uh, to 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 other uh, Western names and so on and so forth. So now the uh, the contributions from other faiths. You know, if if you think of you know the Christian contribution or the you know um, Jewish contribution, I mean the you know European thought system you know, has been around for a long time as well. But I think they became more prominent in sciences with, with the Industrial Revolution in the last 200 years. And there is tremendous contributions there. Unfortunately, we were, not, we were not at the scene because, you know, we were being ruled by others and we really did not have freedom of, uh, you know, of, of, in fact, they were busy, uh, many of them were busy destroying our uh, systems. So we were not able to participate in the Industrial Revolution. So our contributions in that arena Uh, have been stressed as a result of that but of course you know when you look at uh, Hindu Americans today making uh, contributions to all those fields
0: they are second to none no, So my question was specifically towards, uh, say, for example, uh, only specific to contributions uh, uh, towards America uh, and making of America. So, for example, how would you contrast uh, what I meant to ask was, how do you compare and contrast, say, for example, the uh, contribution of Judea, uh, people following Judaism, people following Hindu Dharma, people following Protestantism and Catholicism uh, to... Uh, Uh, the you know to making america what it is today okay well so i mean uh, uh, look uh, you know hindus
2: have been here in relatively small numbers and for relatively small period of time okay Uh, whereas uh, this country was i mean there's no two ways about it this country was made by uh, you know um, by europeans Um, you know of course with a um, lot of slave labor and so forth, but that's that's a dark part of the history. We don't need to go into. Um, <laughs> they've been added for you know 300, 400 years, uh, whereas our contribution is uh, over a relatively small period of time. So if you if you just want to talk about quantitative um, contribution, yeah, we we cannot we cannot compare the two. Uh, but if you look at the quality of contribution, you know, if you look at the, the 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 level at, at which we're contributing, given our numbers, given our time, I think I would I would put it next to any. I mean, um, uh, there's there's no um, uh, we have nothing to be uh, nothing to be embarrassed about at all. Our contributions are at par, or you know, sitting, um, way outsized to our numbers.
0: Yeah, and JG, well put. Thank yeah you.
1: exactly. So Jaiji, that's the part I think uh, JG, what Jaiji really highlighted is that given the proportion of the population that Hindus have in, in the American continent, and given the short period of history that Hindu Dharma has been introduced to the American mind, uh, I think that the contribution is unparalleled in, in that way. And I think that's very well put, Jaiji. Yeah, thank
0: you. Yeah. Um and uh, so that that was actually my last question utsadam well uh
1: the most important part here jg how do people get the book can you please tell us? Because this is something that everybody should have uh, in their
2: coffee table. Yeah. So, I, you know, we certainly would like, uh, you know, um, I think Ved Nandaji is a, you know, he's a, uh, a community, you know, well known community leader. I think if I could read a brief quote from him, I mean, he's written a pretty uh, pretty nice uh, testimonial for the book, but uh, one, one sentence from him he says, this book should adorn every Hindu American's coffee table. I think, uh, uh, obviously, you know, as, as being part of uh, writing this book, I would, you know, I'm, I would certainly uh, agree with that. Um, but the issue is that uh, uh, the publisher, uh, Garuda Prakashan, you know, is, uh, is in India. The book was actually, you know, printed in uh, India. Garuda Prakashan is having some issue with, uh, you know, some, some negotiations with uh, Amazon right now. The book is actually listed on Amazon India, but you know that's no that's no comfort to anyone you know who's listening here. Uh, so what they have said is in the meantime. Well, first of all, you can order. Let, let me uh, let me display the uh, uh, the page where you know the information is available. <clears throat> uh, can you see it? Yes. Okay. So while you know garuda prakashan is uh, negotiating with uh, with amazon or looking for an alternate platform to uh, to make the book available in in uh, in the west uh you can order you know, uh, from from this uh, email. You can write to AVM at uh, vhp-america.org and uh, uh, you know, uh, you'll be, it's a $50 uh, which is not unusual for a coffee table book of, you know, high quality uh, but uh, it, it will, you know, it, it can be had from, you know, from this source and eventually uh, and hopefully that eventually is not too far into the future. Uh, it it will be available from, um, you know, public uh, uh, sources as well. But in the meantime, uh, you know, uh, please write to this uh, this, this particular email. It's, uh, yeah, sorry, it's $50, but, uh, you know, you should be able to get it.
1: Thank, thank you, JG. And, and we have audience uh, appreciation uh, coming in for, for the wonderful work you did. Vandana Tiwari ji, uh, thank you uh, for your contribution. And uh, so, uh, Ajayvai, do you have any other questions?
0: Uh, no, I I, I, wish, um, I, just want to tell everyone, please write to avm at bhp-america.org uh, and order your book. And so that, uh, that that is it and um, I do want to say and now we are going to say this in every show not that we have not said it before but the Hindu Pack and Hindu Lounge can certainly use your donations so please go to hindupack.org click on the donation button on the right hand side of the page and make your contribution it could be as little as five dollars a month it could be as large as you want it to be but please go to our website and contribute to Hindu Lounge this is a new Hindu Lounge show called Hindu Conversation with coffee. Conversations with coffee, and that's about all my voice would allow to say. So that before I start coughing. So um, uh, before, before, uh,
2: before we drop off, I just want to mention that uh, uh, the, all the proceeds from this book are going to go to uh, America and Hindu University of America. So uh, so the book is uh, book really belongs to these organizations and all proceeds will you know uh, will go there. Um, none, uh, nothing to the authors. We are not you know we've, we've basically you know written off our uh, rights to to these organizations. Just, just something your uh, viewers might want to know.
1: Thank Thank you so much thank you so much Jayji and uh, just uh, before we leave uh, you can look at our content what we do at Hindu Pact at uh, at the rate Hindu Pact on Twitter please follow us we uh, we are very active on every issue every aspect of what Hindus in America think about what they face what they deal with how we uh, counter it just visit our Twitter account follow us Uh, there's a lot going on and we will be also talking about this book on our Twitter account we will give a link to it uh, as as uh, as it appears in american market for now we are going to give the link to the order pl- the email address for the order thank you so much so
0: one, one reminder uh, you're still doing hindu lounge number 100 right <coughs> We are going to do hindu lounge
1: number 100 uh, in the next uh, whenever ajay bhai is able to speak uh, um, and his voice is back uh, not that he, he doesn't have a voice, but, you know, in a more uh, realistic, practical way. Uh, so, we'll see you soon and uh, keep following us, keep supporting us. We are here because of you. So, thank you so much. And thank you, Jayaji. Keep keep at it. This is great. We want more stuff from you. Thank you.
2: Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you
1: so much. Awesome. No. Namaste.